Welcome to the Zinger Folkman Podcast. We have the great honor of having Chip Connolly with us today. Uh, Chip is a best-selling author, hospitality entrepreneur, disruptive business rebel, and social change agent. He was the founder of Joy de Divi Hospitality, and after 24 years, he sold that, and, and then he did an interesting thing. He joined and accepted an invitation from the founders of Airbnb to help them transform their promise and really build that business. So we're going to get some insights from him today about his experience there. And, and uh, Chip, thank you for joining us. Well, it's, it, and it's an honor. I'm a big fan of your work and uh, will, in fact, be incorporating your work into my next book, Modern Elder. Well, thank you very much. So, Chip, I'd, I'd like to start with a question of, as you think about the business that you created and, and kind of what was that was like, and then you work, went to work for Airbnb. You know, as you compare those two, what were the differences and what, what did you see and what sort of shocked you or what was just the same? So the company I started, Joie de Vivre, which means joy of life in French, I liked the idea that the name of the company was also the mission statement of the company is to create joy for our employees and our customers. That company was a disruptor within the general hospitality business starting in the mid-1980s when boutique hotels started to proliferate. And at that time, the, the, you know, the Holiday Inns and Marriott's and Hilton's of the world sort of disregarded these you know, upstarts you know, of the boutique hotels thinking they're just style over substance. But what happened over time was boutique hotels became a predominant piece of the overall hospitality pie. And the big established brands, you know, Starwood created W, Intercontinental bought Kimpton, which is the largest boutique hotel company. Ian Schrager ended up going to work for uh, Marriott. So I think what we see is that, you know, sometimes a disruptor becomes an established player or established idea over time. And so as I sold my company to the heir of the um, Hyatt family, uh, the Pritzkers, I was ready to do something new. I sort of wanted to just relax for a while, but I got a call from Brian Chesky, the young millennial founder, um, co-founder of Airbnb and the CEO. And he asked me if I wanted to democratize hospitality. And I, I said, well, that sounds great, but what the hell is Airbnb? And I had no idea. I was, there's a great quote from a science fiction writer, which is the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. <laughs> so the, I, the idea of Airbnb back in early 2013 was a novelty to me. I did not have an Uber or Lyft app on my phone. I was not part of the sharing economy. But I was fascinated by it because the, I think that Airbnb was taking the idea of boutique hotels which was the, the idea that you want an experience and you're willing to accept maybe a high standard deviation of quality as long as you get the right place for you. So the key is to figure out how do you find the right place um, that fits your needs better than any other place. That, it was taking that idea and living like a local, which boutique hotels were about, and taking it 10 steps further. But the big difference between these two, my business and then going and joining the uh, Airbnb founders to take their little startup and grow it into a hospitality brand worldwide, was when your business is a technology business, you can grow much faster than a bricks and mortar business. So Airbnb, when I joined, was a small startup with about 350 employees. 
Four years later, when um, I moved into a strategic advisor role as a consultant now to the founders, we went from 350 employees to 3,000 employees, and we are 25 times larger in terms of our annual revenues and room nights than we were when I started. So it's, it's a company that is dramatically larger, and you can't do that unless you're in the te- technology business. You couldn't, I couldn't do that with a bricks-and-mortar hotel company. You know, there's been lots of talk about working with Gen Xers and millennials and how they're different. Now, did you see a change in in the the workforce and the people you were working with as you moved into Airbnb? Well, the part that was interesting for me was I they invited me to come and be the mentor to the CEO, but also to have a, a role as the head of hospitality and strategy, and then overseeing ultimately about five other teams. But what I realized very quickly was I was the mentor, but I was also the intern. If you remember the Robert De Niro movie with <laughs> Anne Hathaway, right. there's, there's, you know, I, he was the intern. He, it, we had exact opposite roles. I was hired as a mentor to the CEO. He was hired as an intern to the CEO. But he came in as an intern and then became a mentor. I came in as a mentor, but also became an intern. And what do I mean by that? It meant... I was 52 when I joined the company. I'd never worked in a tech company before. So even the lingo of shipping product or shipping a feature, I just, I didn't know what they were talking about. So what I had to accept quickly was that I'm a mentor and an intern, which means I had to evolve my sense of identity as well as take sort of a beginner's mindset. I had to, to use some of the expressions that you've used, I had to really be willing to know that I had enough confidence in my abilities but also to have enough of a growth mindset to be willing to admit what I didn't know and to do so quite authentically and and candidly so that people knew Chip is really smart at these things and he doesn't know those things at all, but he wants to learn a lot about that. So I ended up creating a bit of an implicit trade agreement that uh, you teach me some digital intelligence and I'll teach you some emotional intelligence and some leadership intelligence. Mm How did your leadership behavior change through all this? Did you see yourself doing different things or having different perspectives? Yeah, I think that one. if I can summarize, having seen my own experience and then I've gone out and interviewed lots and lots of really wise people, I think the best piece of advice I can give to say someone who's a boomer who's working with someone who's maybe a millennial, 25 years younger, is to listen. I think there's a, you know, the... The elder of the past might have spouted wisdom, and wisdom flowed downhill, you know, from old to young. I actually think the best thing I could do was instead of coming in and sort of taking over a meeting or coming in and just saying, here's the way to do things based upon my past experience, it was to actually go into the room and be willing to actually hear people and learn a lot. And instead of asking a lot of what and how questions, I asked a lot of why and what if questions, which are the thing, the kind of questions a four-year-old asks. <laughs> the beginner's mind is willing to ask why or what, what, what if, which are sort of bigger and broader questions. And in so doing, I actually I ended up uncovering a few blind spots that the company di- didn't have. And I didn't do it in sort of a gotcha moment. I did it in ways that helped them to almost feel like we were discovering this together at the same time. And that helped because it meant that I was their ally and they, I was a collaborator 
and that when Chip opens his mouth, it's usually some, it's not necessarily going to be to tell you what you need to know. He's going to ask you a question that's going to actually force you to take your blinders off and, and think maybe bigger. And that kind of synthetic thinking, which is um, older people are, may not be able to remember as much as younger people or recall things as quickly or, or even learn things as quickly. But one of the things that's true of our brain is we have just thinking and an ability to synthesize things that is magical even to us. So just being able to take a lot of inputs in and allow it all, that stew to sort of cook, and then to realize when I woke up in the morning after my brain had sort of spent the night thinking about something, I had a new insight that I hadn't thought of before, and then be able to introduce it through a series of questions in a meeting meant that within a few months, there I had, every, I had a lot of people in the company coming to talk to me and asking me questions. And I sort of became the, the really the go-to person in the company for, I guess, wisdom. Did they call you Obi Wan? <laughs> they did not. I, I, it was, it was, you know, it's interesting. It was, uh, it was interesting. I was twice the age of the average employee. So, but I, I think that the thing that's interesting is people didn't sort of look at me as the old guy, and it's partly because I'm, I think culturally, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty with it, and and so I don't think they. There clearly was an age difference, but I think there was a perspective that the other thing that I think is interesting that they were they didn't see me as a competitor, they saw me as a confidant, but they were a confidant who they could talk to who would would give them confidence. Mm -hmm. And to me, the word confidant usually is thought of in the in the framework of I can actually talk with you about private things and you can give me good advice. But there's a in, in in the French version of confidant, it actually actually means it, you give the person confidence, mm -hmm. and I actually think that's a lot of what an older person can do in the workplace. And the number one question that I asked my direct reports, and then we ultimately cascaded throughout the company, was a simple leadership question, which was, uh, "How can I support you to do the best work of your life at Airbnb?" And if you have an employee who works for you. And your boss is saying to you, how can I support you to do the best work of your life here? It not only makes you feel like that person, that your boss supports you, but it also strangely puts you in the position where you can't blame your boss because your boss is basically saying to you, what are the conditions that you need to do great work here? What are the tools, et cetera? Tell me what you need. And it's so easy for especially young employees to complain about the system and the way things are. But if actually I'm saying to you, I want you to be part of the solution creator here, it's hard for them to be the victim. Uh, Jack and I were at a presentation a short time ago, and uh, somebody gave a presentation about Gen Xers and went through the typical list of things that, you know, you know, Gen Xers, they don't want to work hard. They want a vacation every day. They want feedback every moment, that kind of stuff. And They're entitled to everything. Yeah. And then someone got up who's a Gen Xer and said, I'm so tired of hearing this. It's not mm -hmm. true. I, I just wonder, you know, with your experience with that group, and you've heard all the, the sort of the characterizations of them, what's your experience? Well, I... <laughs> I have a couple of thoughts. Um, well, first of all, we have, for the first time in history, five generations in the workplace today. And that just just happened because the Gen Z people, which are you know were born 1996 or beyond and just graduating from college now, 
So if you include the silent generation of people who were born in uh, 1945 or earlier, you, you basically got five generations. So we better understand how to work with each other. But even the question you just asked, I don't, I don't want to be inappropriate um, or dishonorable here, but e would you ever say the words that you were saying or would anybody in a group say the kinds of things you just said about a different race? No. Probably not. You wouldn't say, you know, Asian Americans are this way or black people are that way or white people are this way. And uh, you might, you know, sometimes people will say it about gender. So I think that the idea... First of all, I think the generalizations are roughly true, but not completely true. So on a singular basis, someone could be completely different than the generational stereotype. But I also think the stereotypes, just like any stereotypes, can hold us back from being who we really are. So I w what I'll say, that's my preface. I will say that people who are younger, and it could be Gen X, Gen Z, millennials or Gen Z, have a capacity to understand technology like I, my brain isn't, they're digital natives, so their brains work that way. Now, there are probably some negatives that come from that, meaning they are distracted easily, they have attention deficit. This is the biggest opportunity for a boomer, is they are more knowledgeable about their iPhone, the face of their iPhone, and the inner workings of that iPhone, than they are about the face of the person sitting next to them and the inner workings of that person. So the opportunity is to help that younger person understand the human next to them as much as their technology gadget. And you know, at the end of the day, based upon Daniel Goleman's work around EQ, um, we just know that no matter whether you're in a B2B or a B2C or an A to Z or any kind of company or business, business at the end of the day, especially the more senior you are, is H to H. It's human to human. So that's the piece that I think that younger people are missing. And I think as power is moving to younger people faster, especially in the digital world, we see leaders who are not prepared to have the level of leadership that they are, that's thrust upon them or that they have actually seized hold of. I mean, the most obvious example this week is the CEO of Uber stepping down and taking a leave of absence. But I think that there's going to be a growing need for companies to have this modern elder at the side of that millennial CEO who's incredibly smart about where the technology world's going and is able to create an amazing business plan, but then actually has to have humans in their organization and outside the organization to actually implement it. And sometimes it's that human-to-human -human connection that they don't get right. Jeff, a lot of our listeners on this podcast are very familiar with coaching as it's being practiced by many organizations today. And I suspect one of the questions they may have is, how is it that what, what you've advocated and you've described in terms of your role in, in Airbnb, how would it differ from what a, a really good coach might have done had he or she been assigned to work with the, the CEO? Well, I think, you know, here's a, here's a way to think of the, the – I'd say there's four different types of uh, roles of, of external advisors. I was an internal person, so I was, I was running a lot of the company, and so – one big difference is the, is the fact that I was an internal leader as opposed to, um, you know, an external consultant. 
But if you were to think of these, you could say that you have an advisor or a coach or a mentor or what I'm now calling calling a modern elder, or let's just call them the an elder. Advisor, coach, mentor, elder. So an advisor is the, the lightest touch, meaning you're a domain expertise and you give input in uh, decision-making around your expertise. And, and so you come in and you sort of like give advice. Okay, the next level above that is coach, which is what you're asking about. And generally coaches help leaders with, with tactical skills. How do I do a better job of um, leading my team? How do I run a meeting better? How am I more empathetic? How do I think more strategically? And so uh, a coach may have a specific set of um, specialties that are, are that are skills that are tactical that they can get, help the, the leader get better at. I'd say a, a step above that is a mentor, and a mentor can be a coach. So I would say cer- certain coaches have a mentor role, and a mentor is taking it up a level, so it's less tactical, less transactional. It's a little bit more transformational in the sense that a mentor helps you to be, make the best decisions for you as well as for the company. And they actually help you to become a better person. So um, in many ways, a mentor is a, a life, it's like a lifestyle coach as well as having the skills to actually help you be really good at your leadership. Now, the chemistry on that's really important. And to my mind, a mentor, I personally think it helps if the mentor has some operating experience such that they are they are they have a level of empathy for what you're going through mm-hmm. because you've actually helped to run a company before now an elder or a modern elder takes the idea of mentor one step further and I, whereas i think a mentor is a mirror for the for the person that they're working with i think an elder is an editor and what i mean by that is Generally, if you're 50, year old, 50 years old or older, you're to a place in your life where you start, you've, moved, you've gone through your accumulation phase. And if you think about how life works from t- age 20 to age 50, you're just accumulating. You're accumulating friends, family, children, jobs, money, material possessions, uh, you know, identities and roles in the nonprofit or religious community in terms of whatever you're involved in. And... And in your 40s, it's part of the reason that in your 40s, that it's the lowest happiness time in your life because you're actually so overwhelmed with all of these different roles and things you're doing. And around 50, people tend to start to edit their life. And uh, what that means is on a personal level, you start to actually get clear on what's important and how, how do you want to invest your time and, and your energy. And from a, an, uh, an elder perspective for providing leadership guidance, this means that they really are beyond just helping, you know, coach you on tactical skills or mentor you on how to be the best of who you are. It's literally helping you to sort of see what's essential in who you are and how you're leading to the point where you just focus on on that. And I think with Brian Chesky, I was definitely not a tactical skills coach. I gave him tactical skills when I would see him do something bad in a meeting. And of course, I interned publicly and I mentored privately. So I would give him mentoring or coaching skills outside of that. But I think the thing I'd helped him do the most was to edit his vision of both his leadership and the company's strategy in a way that allowed it us to be effective. Because the thing that a person who's 
30 years old, does not understand, especially if they've grown their company so quickly, is there are limits to what you can do. So you need to make the big bets in certain areas and edit and focus on that. And we did that. And we made some really good decisions, I think, along the way that helped us to get to the place where we're, you know, we're still growing in value and we're, you know, we're doing well because of the things we said no to. So those 30-year-olds, they're invincible. (laughs) (laughs) They think they are. I mean, I think that's the big, one of the big differences. That's a great comment because one of the big differences between us and them, or let's say, I'll just say me, between me and Brian was I have had failures that have been very painful that have taught me some lessons and that that level of you know experience through failure especially for somebody who starts a company at age 26 like these guys did 26 and 24 and they just haven't failed before and so i'm just trying to speed up the process of learning from those failures for them and then also helping them not to make some major mistakes i mean i, I do think uber is an interesting example of a company where the, the series of mistakes that were made on so many different levels are the kinds of things that if they had had a modern elder at Travis's side as the CEO, they might have helped him to see a, a, that a variety of the things they were doing, some of them were cultural, but some of them were strategic in terms of bad decisions, were the, the kinds of things that were going to get them in a lot of trouble long term. It actually is an example of what I call karmic capitalism. Um, what goes around comes around. And I think that, you know, because they were invincible and their valuation got up to almost $70 billion, they're always about twice as much as Airbnb in terms of value uh, as they grew. There was a sense that, you know what, what we're doing is right. And there became, therefore, there, there was a righteousness that came with it and we're making righteous decisions. And they were not. They were making a lot of bad decisions and they didn't realize they were bad until it was too late. Chip, you might create a whole new category of uh, practitioner here. You know, instead of <laughs> I'm a personal coach, I'm a personal elder. And yeah, modern elder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, Chip, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. I've really appreciated uh, your thoughts, uh, Jack. Very much. No, it's been it's been fascinating. Well, I'm I'm a big fan, and I look forward to talking with you further as I do more research. But your study that showed that uh, women in particular, but men and women both, have more confidence as they age. Therefore, they're more willing to actually take feedback and have a growth mindset is so beautiful because it really speaks to what I'm talking about. But it is actually so antithetical to the way most of us think of older people, which is that they're not willing to learn and they're set in their ways. All right, all right. Thank you so much and and thanks for joining us. All right, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of this past interview that Jack and Joe did with Chip Conley. We created an ebook sharing insights of the full interview and you can download that at the link included in our episode details. Be sure to tune in next week for our two-part series sharing the research Zanger Fobin published with Harvard Business Review on the secrets and downfalls of super productive people. This podcast was produced by Zanger Folkman with music by Pleasant Pictures. Be sure to tell your friends and coworkers about our podcast and leave us one of those great reviews. You can find more episodes, articles, and research on our podcast page on zangerfolkman.com.